Hello and welcome to another edition of the New Model Advisor Planning People podcast. Today we're in for a very interesting session as we'll be discussing face, uh, faith, sorry, not face, faith and philanthropy and how they can play a role in financial advice. Joining us for this one is our brilliant features editor, Ollie Smith, and also Colin Lowe, Managing Director and Chartered Financial Planner of Kingsfleet Wealth in Claydon. He's also recently been selected as the new chair of the Association of Christian Financial Advisors, which gives us lots to talk about. Uh, before we start, Colin, I actually owe you an apology. Like the last time I invited you to a podcast, uh, you were joined by Chris Dames of Cervello Financial Planning. Uh, and I really remember giving a long introduction to Chris. And I said, oh, Chris is great. He does all this brilliant work. What a top man. And then I kind of forgot my lines about you, Colin. I just said, oh, and this is Colin Lowe. And it was probably the worst introduction I think I've ever given anyone. And certainly not one that you deserved. So... Apologies. Um, Don't worry. Colin's rightly known as a, a very friendly man in the industry, one of the best, you know, nicest guys you can meet. He also runs a great business, Kingsfleet Wealth. Um, and I'm not also surprised at all that he's been asked to chair the Association of Christian Financial Advisors. So there we go. Um, hopefully that was better. Needs no introduction. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I would it's say. It's the sort of introduction my wife gives, actually. It's just, <laughs> this is Colin. Yeah. And then we go. I, I felt bad. Yeah. As soon as I said it, I was like, oh no, that was rubbish. But this is Colin. We kind of just skipped Deal over. with it. And it was a few years ago, I was quite new in the job. And I just thought, no, that's okay. No one's told me it was bad. And it was terrible. It was fine. It, Don't you worry. <laughs> At least you got my name right. Well, that, yeah. I'm Austin Chris for some reason. Really? Yeah. Not not Lau. People no. don't say Lau. Oh, no, no, I suppose that's so possible. But no, Chris, as in the Petrop Boys, Chris Lowe. Oh, so I often, right. get, often get referred to as Chris. But Great. I'm, I'm calling. <laughs> yeah. All right, I should jump in. So you in got anyway. that right. We'll go, right, finally, I've, I've made amends. <laughs> We've got loads to talk about, so I should stop, should stop apologising for previous uh, mistakes. Uh, we're going to discuss Christianity at some point and faith and its role in financial advice, which I think is fascinating. But but first, philanthropy. So, Chris, Colin, <laughs> hey, how's that um, happened? <laughs> Colin. Unbelievable. Unreal. <laughs> right, we're leaving that in. Um, Colin, um, when you emailed me, I've never called you Chris before. And no. You've just done that. You've planted yeah. that seed. Yeah, I absolutely. feel bad, though. Um, all right, Colin, you, uh, you, you contacted me and said you've been doing some philanthropic work and you'd like to talk about it. So can you give me a quick outline of what it is you've been doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, it, to be fair, the, the key thing that I'm trying to communicate, and I just think it's a big issue for advisors, is that I think we're in a prime position to make a huge difference in the country. So I don't really... I, I, yes, I'll talk, of course, about what we've done, but I just think we're at a prime time, really, where advisors should be showing that we're different and that we've, we've got the ear of really important people, really wealthy people, and we should be demonstrating to them that that we can do something to help our society and our communities. So just in terms of us, um, it's really important. I just explain our business is named after my primary school. So I went to Kingsfleet Primary, a little school in Felixstowe, and every day I'm reminded that I'm only doing what I'm doing because of the education that I had. Um, and that's absolutely crucial to what we do. So actually our focus within the business is to try to work within Suffolk to support um, educational causes. Um, so yeah, that's broadly speaking what we've been doing. I can talk about some of those things. Yeah, please do. Please do. I mean, so what, what have you done recently to improve the local community? And you've touched upon this a bit. Um, I think that's the thing. There's a lot of local issues that advisors can be really impactful on. Mm. Uh, so from your experience, what have been the things you've been able to make a difference with? So this issue really within Suffolk is just a lack of educational attainment and ambition, it's, which is really disappointing. And the thing is, although Suffolk is a very, very wealthy county, mm. it's actually um, got 
two towns which are in the lowest 10% in terms of poverty across the whole of the UK, which is absolutely astonishing. Um, so there's this almost lack of ambition, lack of desire to learn. And so what we've tried to do is just support some things locally. Uh, one is just, you know, a fun run which raises money for local schools. We're now gold sponsors for the Felixstowe Book Festival, which is growing in uh, awareness. And what it tries to do is to then use some of its income to help with literacy in local schools. Um, and also we've supported a, a book and a video recently called The Life on the Deben. Uh, the, the Deben is a river that comes out of Felixstowe. The Kingsfleet is a tributary that flows into that. So, but it, that, that has a sort of a geographic and a historic link. You know, it's amazing the things they've learned. And again, we're trying to then get that into schools, which help um, children understand more about local history and the need to work out more of what we can learn from the past. So, mm. yeah, there's loads of little things. Um, yeah. And, you know, aside from all the big national problems we've got, you know, we, we try to support local food banks, hospices, you know, all the things I'm sure advisors do around the country. Mm. Strikes me it's quite interesting because in most advisors we would talk to about their kind of educational impact in the local community, the first thing that they would talk about is money. You know, they would say that, you know, Britain has a very, very low level of financial kind of literacy and they go into schools and they talk to the kids about why not to get in debt, why not to, you know, overspend on your store credit card or whatever. But you're doing more than that. You're, you're actually talking about other subjects. Uh, and obviously with the fun run, you know, exercise being a very important part <laughs> yeah. of life. Yeah. Uh, th there's a lot there, actually, to, to be making an, an I impact. I think there's on. loads of things we can all do. Um, in my past, uh, back in the day, I used to work for a high street bank, mm. and I was trained to go out and do talks in schools. Mm. Uh, I was placed with sort of 10 of the most extrovert people in the country. One guy from Cardiff who would do circus entertainment in front of children. Is and that how you know Ian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that could well be. Uh, yeah, so people with all sorts of different skills. Well, one of those was very much the sort of careers aspect. The other was the sort of money and budgeting. Yeah. And you're, you're right. You know, that is a massive issue that we've got. Um, and I think all of us need to contribute in some way when we're asked to try and help that. I think there are programmes from bigger providers now coming in there and doing that. Uh, and I think we're always on call with a back phone to go and help where we can. But mm. generally, I just think, Education as a whole, uh, certainly in our area, really just needs support and help. And that can even be at very grassroots level. Yeah, I mean, are you involved in any kind of organisations? Is it very much a Kingsley Wealth initiative? Yeah, so we created our own educational trust about uh, five years ago now. Um, and what we then do is use the funds from that on an annual basis to support local causes. Yeah. Now, some of those, you might not think, well, they're not mainstream things. They're sort of working with special needs groups. That's a big, very important issue to me. My eldest son has autism, so we've always been very close to people who have needs like that. Mm. Um, uh, or play groups or opportunity groups, which are often where people who maybe don't always have access to services can then go and meet others and, and meet up and just spend time with their kids playing. And you know, it, it's just trying to help things locally where perhaps that funding just isn't there, that we have the facility and the capacity to do it. Yeah. And what's the most, it seems a kind of basic question, but what's the most rewarding thing about it? Uh, I think the important thing is just to say that the rewarding aspect is that we can do it. Um, you know, we, we've, we had a, a letter a couple of weeks ago from one of the groups that we've helped and they just said, look, you know, this is what we've been able to do because of your support. Now, 
you know, we don't do it because we want a letter back. We don't do it because we want recognition or anything like that. We're doing it because we can. And, and my point about philanthropy is that we shouldn't be doing it because of getting our names in lights. Mm-hmm. Right? We should be doing it because we have the capacity to do it. And because I think actually there's a huge historic precedent for being philanthropic. Yeah. Successful business people have historically been philanthropic. And I think it's only post-war that that stopped. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting to hear you say that it's sort of stopped. Uh, has it? Has it? Has that been in kind of a terminal decline? Then do you think? I hope not. I think in this country, though, we had this issue post-war that we felt the state would sort everything out for us. Um, right. And I think we've thought that, you know, from an educational perspective, everything was in place, uh, health, all of these things, we've felt that the state was there to resolve it. In the States, that's been less of an issue. Sure. It's 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 not working the same way as it does here. But I think if you go back to the 18th, 19th century and you see successful banking people form um, uh, philanthropic causes, you look at the Cadbury family and and so on... um, and, and then you can look even at a more local level. The thing that really stimulates me, and I'm a bit of a saddo when it comes <laughs> to this, <laughs> is if you look for sort of water fountains in towns, centres and cities, right. where just business yeah, people have just set up this thing to help people who didn't have clean drinking water. Mm. Now, they didn't do that to get their names in lights. They did it to help people. And, and really, we should be thinking of what is our water fountain for the mm. 21st century. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating, actually. Um, I could say, again, going back to the business aspect of it, though, I mean, you could be really cynical. And I think uh, I suspect a number of people that do charitable things do it because they're kind of consciously aware that it is a good bit of publicity for their business. I mean, what is the upside, though? Have you actually seen any business upside in what you've well, done? Well, first of all, it, does, it, it doesn't necessarily matter what your motivation is, I suppose. You know, the fact that you're doing something is, is good. And yes, there does come back some positive vibe and, and good message about us and, and our brand and our name. Um, and yes, we do have people who have come to us and said, you are the people who have supported such and such, aren't you? Um, and we say, yes, we are. And they say, Great, yeah, you're, you're who we want to talk to. Um, and it's really just trying to... You know, and this is, again, I just think where we as a profession have a great opportunity to change people's perception about us mm-hmm. that I think still so often we are focused on navel gazing of you know what's our TER or our, you know total cost of ownership and you know where's our asset allocation we're focused on all these things that really are very dull to the rest of our communities mm. and actually we've got a huge opportunity to work with people who are wealthy and, and even ourselves who are successful and, and actually just change yeah, I think another thing as well, a benefit you can get from philanthropy, um, which I'm keen to get your thoughts on as well, is um, there's a whole aspect that you're not just in financial advice. I think we can all get lost in our echo chambers yeah. or we you know, we do a certain job, we speak the same people day in, day out, whenever that challenged and tested. So I'm guessing you must meet loads of interesting people through the charitable work. Um, and through that, do you think you've become a better financial advisor? Yeah, I th- do you know, I think we have. It's not really something I've put a huge amount of thought behind, but I just think it's really important that we, we keep ourselves out of the bubble of only dealing with wealthy people, mm. only dealing with successful people. Yeah. That I think sometimes our work ends up being. I think it's really important we understand the needs in our communities, that we get involved with local places of learning. You know, we spend quite a bit of time with um, the Suffolk Community Foundation, which works across all sorts of charitable causes in Suffolk. And I think we need to understand the needs that we have in our local communities and society as a whole. Um, So I think that in turn then just 
helps you sort of work through this process with your clients about the needs that are out there and how our clients can help them as well. Just keeping it really cynical for a second. I mean, keep you know, it cynical. I, I know that when Ian's team go around the, com- the around the country, and you know they they look at different regions and and they sort of profile businesses in those regions. I mean, by and large, as you say, you know, advisors deal with um, you know high net worth individuals, successful entrepreneurs, business people, people with assets. Um, there's a case to be said that if you're looking to enter the professional, maybe start your own firm that, shall we say, the demographics are not to be the main consideration when you're looking at where to set up, that actually you need a strong sense of community and a place where people and stories are the kind of ties that bind and uh, culture is as much a factor of people's day-to-day living as their income or their outgoings mm. or their uh, education levels. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've in the nearly 10 years of our existence, really just focused on the county that we're in, which is Suffolk. Now, we have picked up clients from elsewhere, which is a real privilege, but our focus really is on where we live and where we work, which is what mm. difference can we make in the community that we find ourselves. And, and if our difference is only with those for whom we receive an income, uh, you know, those to whom we invoice, well, that's fine. But actually, there's so many more people out there who need support, whether it's on education, whether it's budgeting or uh, food banks, all of those things need support from firms like ours, not Mm. just ours, other businesses, you know, law firms and accountancy practices and so on. But we've got to really, we have the ear of wealthy people too, don't we, uh, Mm. in, in this role. And we should use that responsibility to make a difference to them and to show them by the way that we work that we can make a difference. Yeah, I mean, would you recommend that others go local as well with their philanthropy efforts? Because, you know, I think for a lot of people, myself probably included, if you do anything like this, I think you'd usually look for one of the big charities, maybe Macmillan or, you know, British Heart Foundation, something like that. Yeah, good point. And, and that seems like the straightforward thing to do. But have you kind of got an extra... I think that's a great thing to do anyway, but do you think it's more rewarding to work in your local community? I think that is very rewarding. Um, there, there was some incredible statistic from the Suffolk Community Foundation that said something like... I may have the figures wrong here, so please forgive me. Something like 80% of all charitable giving made from within Suffolk is spent outside of Suffolk um, because it goes to very mm. big charities. And that's fine because people know where it's going and it is going to hugely important causes like Macmillan Cancer Research and so on. Those are critically important. Um, But actually there's lots of smaller things going on that are very low cost, have minimal overheads at a local level, which actually with just small amounts of money, you can make a massive difference. And those things are, are very local. Mm. I say, I'm probably going to move the conversation on to Christianity now, unless there's anything you have to add on. I was just about to say, I think that's the burning question that I'm <laughs> hoping we were yes. going to move on to. Yes, we have been waiting to discuss faith and being two journalistic types that we are, I'm sure we'll make it very salacious, <laughs> very controversial. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm expecting I'm hellfire slightly. and brimstone yeah, from, from Colin Lowe. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so... <laughs> Think of the studio as the Garden of Eden. Of course, yeah, it's very similar. Not, not yeah. as Gethsemane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Think of Ollie as the snake. Uh, anyway, uh, so... That's yeah, but it's fair still. Um, so, anyway, you've been asked to be chair of the Association of Christian Financial Advisors. Um, is that role started? Uh, it has. It has. Okay, so 
my job is traveling around the UK, meeting advisors, and to my absolute shame, I had no idea this group even existed. Don't worry. So could you tell us more about it, <laughs> Yeah. So at the moment, we're a reasonably small group. It's been running several years, but we've probably just kept ourselves below the radar to an extent. Um, uh, I don't know why. I mean, well, there we are. I've just got involved now. And one of the things that as a committee, we've just felt, actually, there's probably advisors out there who have a Christian faith who just feel that they would want to be more engaged uh, in that. So now's a great time for us to just get out and, and explain a little bit about what we do. Okay. And, and how many of you are there in the group? So there's 50 at the moment um, on the wow. books. And, uh, but we, I know of several advisors who I've spoken with recently, and I've just, I know their, their Christian faith. And I've said, oh, did you know this? And they said, oh, wasn't sure it existed or didn't know or vaguely recall. So, um, yeah, we're looking to engage with a few more and just see if we can bring that yeah. number up a little. And should people get in touch with you if they're looking to join? Yeah, yeah, by all means do. Yeah, okay. very, very happy to receive some correspondence on that point. Great yeah. stuff. Okay, so my first question on Christianity, besides asking what the group's about, and I've prepared you for this one, to be fair, yeah. but obviously there's a verse in the Bible that says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So how do you square financial advice, working with wealthy people, with Christianity. Now, I, I assume here you want me to talk more about the, the Christian aspect rather than camels. So well, that's I mean, what you, I've prepared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've yeah, yeah. Focus on camels. Focus on the you Christianity. You do you, Colin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, first of all, that's a good quote. Uh, the, the, key, the key thing is just understanding the context of that quote and the, that Jesus has just been talking to a man who came to him and said, look, I've fulfilled all these aspects of the law. Mm. And, but Jesus then said to him, that's fine, but you have lots of wealth. Give it away. And the challenge really was to that man, actually, if he felt that that's what you know, made him right with God. And of course, the, the whole tenet of Christianity is that it isn't our wealth, it's not the things that you do, it's a reliance on God alone. So, um, yeah, so yes, you're quite right to quote that verse. And I think it's very interesting that we, we have to, even as Christians, remind ourselves that it's not in the things that we do that make us Christians, it's the reliance on God that makes us Christians. Mm -hmm. One, just one sort of controversial, sneaky, God, <laughs> <Yeah>. question for <laughs> you. I mean, one of the things that, you know, the, one of the earliest things I remember learning about uh, from the Bible yeah. at school was the uh, the moment that Jesus um, shuns the bankers. Yeah. And the yeah, yeah, sends yeah, the money makers away from the temple. Yeah. And um, I, I wondered if you could perhaps comment on that, because... I think leading on from Ian's question, I mean, it strikes me that in, there are many places in the Bible where there's a, there's, there's a lot of commentary on greed and there's a lot of mm. uh, commentary on profit, actually. And, yeah. you know, what does it profit a man, yes. etc. And, um, and how is a Christian financial advisor meant to incorporate that into their faith and, and live faithfully? Yeah, uh, knowing full well the um, the ills that can come from greed. Well, that's yeah, some really great stuff there. Uh, yeah, let's try and unpick some of those. Yeah. So talk, talk about the, the you know Jesus in the temple. The the issue is what did the temple symbolise? The temple symbolised where people met with God. Yeah. And so the issue there is what are the things that prevent us from meeting with God? Mm. And there it was trade and commerce. And yeah, money lenders happens to be one of those forms of trade and commerce. And if it was preventing people from meeting God then Jesus was saying, actually, that shouldn't be here. And the same applies to us. There can be different things in our lives, whether it's you know, our, our pastimes, our career, our finances, our wealth, that prevent us from, from meeting God. 
Mm. And the challenge to us now is what what are those things and those are things that we shouldn't have um, in our lives if we're pursuing Christianity. Mm. Um, so I think that that's one aspect. I think the, the whole thing about, yeah, money, wealth, possessions, there are more verses in the Bible about that than there are about prayer. I think that's statistically proven. Um, so, yeah, the way in which we deal with our possessions and our wealth are intrinsic to the Christian life, absolutely intrinsic. And one of the core things that Christians sometimes forget and need to be reminded of is the the fact that we are stewards of what we have. We are responsible and we are accountable for the things that we have because they aren't actually our possessions. We won't take them with us. Nobody does, as we no all know. No point being the richest man in the graveyard. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did once have a client who said that's what they wanted to be. And I, <laughs> and, and I found that one of the hardest conversations ever to have. Wow. And they're no longer a client. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was really hard. So I think actually that whole aspect of just being responsible with what we have because we realise it a lot, it, you know, we can't take it with us, it is crucial. And that's where those verses about, you know, if you gain the whole world and yet actually lose your soul, then... You're, you've got to be thinking long-term, not short-term. I was going to say, what other issues do you discuss? So how long have you been a member of the group now? So I've been a, a member only for a couple of years, really. Okay. Um, should have been longer, but my direct debit couldn't ever <laughs> seem to get worked on. But um, <laughs> there we are. So, yeah, uh, yeah, for, for a couple of years. Um, and, yeah, the, the issues that we've got, I mean, one of the, they, they sort of four key things that we try and focus on, which one of the team very helpfully sort of did a mnemonic with ACFA, Association of Christian Financial Advisors. And I've just written them down here just because they were such good. Um, so Charlie put these together. Um, so one is, the first one is assisting churches with um, teaching and faith groups about teaching about money. We were talking about doing that in school a few minutes ago. Well, lots of churches have the same issues. Yeah. You know, they want to, to help their church members and attendees and congregation just understand about money. The next is being a Christian voice in the world of finance. And that's something that we're really trying to get onto the front foot on um, and be a, a force for good and just, you know, and we're, Please don't think that we're unique in this. We we don't have the you know a monopoly on the good ideas, and we don't think we're any better than other people. Please don't think that. But we do think that you know as Christians we should look at what does the Bible teach uh, on this fellowship with each other. So there's our colleagues who do similar jobs up and down the country, and just at the conference just a month or two back, you know we were able to sit down and talk about similar issues that we have, yeah. uh, which is really encouraging. And the other thing is just the sort of advertising of the of our facilities so that we know that there's other people who want to engage with people who have similar worldviews to us and perhaps do strange things from a financial planning perspective like you know they might work for a charity and ask for a pay cut um, because they're a Christian because they don't want to take money out from the charity and those sorts of things seem odd to some people but perhaps within a Christian context, that can make some sense. Mm. So. Uh, another sort of snaky question. Oh, here we go. Yeah, we've got another one. I've always been thinking about this. I'm going to drop a bit of a bomb, which is that, so I grew up in the church. Yeah. I was I was raised in a, in a church choir that formed a very, very significant part of my kind of weekly activities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that kind of uh, sort of in, imbued me with a lot of the kind of, I don't know, shall we say, discipline and philosophy that mm. I now do not use at all at work uh, <laughs> but uh, it i mean, never forget one thing that my mum said to me my mum's sort of quite a political person and she said to me you know ollie they say that the uh that the the anglican church is the tory party at prayer <laughs> yeah uh, i've heard that and and it strikes me you know given what you've said 
earlier about uh, some of the socioeconomic issues in Suffolk, and I know you know that they are they're they're not unique to Suffolk in terms of poverty. Uh, and I'm going to extrapolate from that austerity. And um, where does your understanding of the politics sit with this? Because and, you know, without wanting to sort of throw around facts too much, it does strike me that, you know, the Tory party is largely responsible for some of the biggest socioeconomic problems in society at the moment. And it could be accused justifiably of actually taking quite unchristian view uh, of, say, the poor uh, or people on in working poverty. What's your understanding of that? And how how does that uh, sit with you as a as a Christian, presumably working in church groups, with people who may, you know, be members of that party or maybe supporters of its agenda. Yeah. So I think and one of the key things is just say across politics, there are Christians in, in all yeah. political parties. That's yeah. really important. So, you know, there will be people who are friends of mine who will have very different political views. Mm. So I don't think we can sort of tar one party or one no. organisation or one faith group with the same brush from a political perspective, or, or I, neither do we say that they're to blame or are they responsible for okay. something. I don't think we can do that across the board. I think as individuals, though, we have accountability. Um, and just as I might be accountable for how I use my resources and how I help those who are in need, so I think people who are in leadership in government are accountable for that um, mm. and from a Christian perspective we would say that's not just um, you know during their term in politics but it's also um, there's an eternal aspect to this as well yeah um, which you know should bring people up short because <laughs> that's always a big part of you know but prayer the prayer segment of any church service it normally includes some kind of reference to you know, Her Majesty the Queen and, you know, and uh, the governing politicians of the day yeah. and helping them to make uh, kind of equitable decisions for the good yeah. of the country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And th th there's quite a lot of focus on that, isn't mm. there? There is. Now, I, um, I'm come from a good sort of non-conformist background, so, you know, sometimes the mysteries of the Anglican Church are things I'm not really sure I fully understand. Better leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't believe some I of the things I've seen. <laughs> Now, I think, I think, again, this comes back to the stuff we were talking about earlier, that we, we just, we are all responsible for these things, really. Yes, we have a vote as an individual, but actually, you know, how am I to walk past people who have need um, unless I'm doing something about it? And I can't blame government for that if I'm not doing anything. So that's where, you know, I think we all have a personal responsibility and accountability, and I guess probably within the Association of Christian Financial Advisors, we try and work some of those things out. You know, how do we help people? And again, going back to our philanthropic issues, you know, how do we help people um, who can't afford what we do and what we offer? Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so I guess we're talking about the group again. Um, and actually, you must have discussed this at length with each other. Um, what role does religion actually play in your financial advice process when it comes to actually speaking to clients and dealing with people individually? Yeah. You know, is there much conversation around how faith changes your interactions? So I suppose the, the way I'd answer that is I think every one of us comes to our work with our worldview. You know, now for me, it, it is based on the Bible. It's a Christian worldview. There'll be others who come at it with a hu humanistic perspective. 
which is their worldview. Uh, there will be others who will bring their own religion to that. And that's absolutely fine because those things are influencing our everyday lives. It, it probably influences what coffee we buy. It influences um, the, the, you know, the way that we speak and it influences the advice that we give. So you cannot sort of separate the two. It's intrinsically linked. Um, Coming down to how that works for us, and I can't speak for the other members of the uh, organisation, but how that works for us is, yes, it has an influence on our financial planning, because one of the aspects that we pick up when we do annual reviews is philanthropy, is giving money away, and we don't want to push on people the things that they should consider as being important, because to them it may be cancer charities and so on. Um, and that's fantastic, but I love that Jewish proverb that says it's better to give with a warm hand than a cold one. And so if people can give during their lifetime, then they can see the benefit of that. So yes, it has an impact on our financial planning, and increasingly it's having an impact on our wealth management too. Yeah, I mean, do you ask clients about their faith? I don't, um, but it's amazing how many times that crops up in mm. conversation. Yeah. Um, and f often in budgeting, where people say that they give, once they... Um, demonstrate that they are regular givers or that they give away a lot of their wealth it doesn't take long to turn around to their faith now that's not always christian it can be others too yeah but that's just an indication of somebody maybe coming at their financial perspective from a broader perspective than simply just trying to grow the value of their own assets yeah i mean do you think it's a it's a worthwhile question to ask though i realize people don't like to talk about religion yeah. uh, especially in, <laughs> yeah. in the uk i don't think people like to always go oh yeah what's your religious views? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but at the same time you touched upon wealth management and you know, there's a real sea change I can see at the moment towards people considering things like greener investments, ESG, Absolutely. sustainability. Yep. Maybe not even from a moralistic point, possibly from a perspective of climate change yeah, and so on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you, because there's, there's probably a case that you should ask people about their faith because they might be invested in things that they really wouldn't want to be invested in. Mm -hmm. um, so how does how does faith influence your investment process? Yeah, so one of the things that we do increasingly, well, we've, all, we've done it for the last, I think, five years as part of our risk profiling is ask about people's ethical views. Ethics are becoming increasingly complex, though, whereas sustainability is becoming a bit more clear-cut. So okay. sustainability often incorporates some form of ethical view, uh, but SDGs... Um, the UN SDGs are now almost becoming... Yeah, the Sustainable Development Goals. Sustainable right? yeah. Development Goals are now becoming sort of the understanding of sustainability. And there's at least now there's a template that nearly everyone can work towards. So now, we, actually, in many ways, what we're doing with most clients is actually saying, we prefer to use this type of investment. Do you have any objections to that? So almost ask them to negatively... Um, withdraw, you know, to so almost say uh, if they don't want to be part of that and if actually their, f their sole reason for investment is growth or return rather than making a positive impact. But actually the number of people we've discussed this with in some detail, and these aren't just people who come to us with a faith background of any description, they, they mm. have some no, none declared, are saying that actually we just think that's right. Yeah. It's doing good. It's doing good for the planet. It's doing good for people. It's looking at purpose rather than profit. And actually, that's really having a, a huge impact. Is that a bit of a nudge, Colin? I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I, th I just felt, again, ethically, I know we've said ethics can be different, but ethically, it's 
got to be the right conversation to have because I just feel I'm in a position where not only am I accountable and responsible for what I do with my own money, but actually the way in which I talk to other people about it yeah. Yeah. is a responsibility. Well, interesting, we discussed this at one of our events last year. An advisor asked a question to a panel that we had talking about sustainability and ESG and said they were really interested in doing all this stuff, but they didn't know where to even look or where to even start looking when it comes to you know implementing all this in their investment proposition. So from your perspective, you know what what people and what um, you know offerings have been useful to you in actually building a, a more ethical investment you know, proposition. So there are two strands to what we do. One is our own internal funds where we tend to use multi-asset, multi-manager, and we're engaging very much with those fund managers. The second strand is we co-own a discretionary business, uh, RXI Wealth. And one of the things that Jonathan and I, who own RXI, is to look at underneath that, how can we make those funds more and more sustainable? We've built from probably 10 or 20% a year ago, we are now probably at 80% sustainable funds within that. Now, we've been very mindful of the whole greenwashing argument yeah. and, you know, yeah. let's just, you know, tick a box. Because actually, you know, I was at a fund manager presentation a couple of weeks ago where they said, oh, yeah, and we've got these tobacco stocks and we're very strong on SRI and all this. And you just think, yeah. well, hang on. Um, <laughs> so we've been really careful. We work quite closely with Worthstone. We think a lot of the work that they put in and the, 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 the resource that they offer there. So, yeah, that's been an increasing part of what we, what we offer and what we do. Yeah, it's interesting some of the things you talk about there. Um, in terms of you know greenwashing and having extra scrutiny, because we were talking about this before we started recording, you know I think in the ethical space or the ESG space, even sustainability, because people are aiming to achieve something, they attract twice as much scrutiny, and it's the same for you as a Christian advisor. I mean, as much as people will hear us asking you some tough questions about this, you know my, my views towards Christianity are, are you know I'm not Christian, but they're generally favourable. I, mean, I know a lot of people from the church. Um, you know, is, is it not annoying that people, you know, you, you take a stand or you try and make a difference and then people are then really scrutinising your behaviour? This is irritating? a phenomenon that I would call the bloody do-gooders phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. You know when you walk down yeah. a street in the middle of a market town and, you, yeah. you know, you see a sort of Christian charity handing out you know, food to the poor or, you know, there are the, the classic one is the, you know, the stewards of drunk people at night and you sort of stumble <laughs> past with your kebab and you're yeah. like, bloody do-gooders. Is yeah, that, making us all look bad, eh? Yeah, making us all look bad. Is yeah. that an issue? Oh, well, that's a challenge. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so this is the... Uh, so the first thing is, let's, again, let's be really clear. We're no better. You know, we're just ordinary people. We, we, Yes, we have faith, but we have faith actually in somebody who didn't do anything wrong as opposed to us who do. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're under the same regime, the same laws as everybody else, and we're not better. I'd, I, we'll, we'll make every effort to be better, but we're not necessarily uh, yeah, are we do-gooders? Yeah, I think we're just going to be mindful <laughs> of that. Yeah. Um, I suppose, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm always conscious that we could be, but I think I'd rather be a do-gooder than a not do-gooder. Ne'er-do-well, yeah, or whatever. And I think it's just important that we just do what we can. And again, I hope people who are listening to this who aren't Christians don't sort of think we're pointing the finger at, and we're not at all. We're just trying to say, look, each of us has responsibility and accountability for the work that we do. Just we've got to try and make the best of it and, you know, use the resources and the knowledge that we have to to make a difference in our communities. Yeah. And a final question. It's just something we've touched upon already. You know, when Ollie was describing Church of England <laughs> upbringing, well, you know, I used to go to a Church of England school and the, the church services we had to go to with those were, oh, they were oh, just 
unbearably sure. dull. Yeah. Um, whereas instead, I actually spent most of my time in a Baptist church. You know, we had acoustic guitar and drums. You know, it was by church standards pretty pretty trendy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but confirm this. But that's the thing. Uh, you know, yeah. another thing. So uh, you know, a friend of mine is a kind of fairly well committed Catholic, and he doesn't like going to church ceremonies that seem to be fun. He seems it's, he thinks it's disrespectfully. Sure. He, he seems to pick out the dullest possible services. But <laughs> anyway, I think the thing is, there's so many different denominations out there, and so yeah. many different approaches to Christianity within your group. Does that ever cause friction? It hasn't done. Um, I'd like to hope it doesn't ever yeah. do. Uh, <laughs> it hasn't done up till now. I can never say that it never will. But no, we, we get on really well. And I have to say, you know, there's been a variety of people from different backgrounds and so on in the meetings that I've been along to. And we have all just got on brilliantly. Um, it might be that it's only because we're spending a couple of days together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we were any longer, it, it could be a bit more friction. But um, no, I think... Uh, yeah, I think actually just the nation's perception of Christianity is that it is dull. And I do accept that. And, you know, if you look at Songs of Praise, then you probably would agree with that. But I think probably the way that most, a lot of churches are, are now based in schools and so on as well. So, you know, they're not just in these sort of old, cold buildings. Uh, and it's, again, the stress is the church isn't the building, the church is the people. Whose image is harder to work on and improve, Christianity or financial advice? Yes. That would be my key two, question. When you put the two together, it's a pretty tough ask, isn't yeah, it? Actually. It's a pretty, um, yeah, yeah I, that, I don't think... Uh, yeah. I think the key thing is um, we just see this as something where there will be Christians out there who I'm going to avoid the question. Um, <laughs> there's Christians out there, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's Christians out there who who do need um, support, and they want they want somebody who sees the world from the same perspective as them. So if we can be a support to them, then that that's a good outcome. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, I think that's all we've got time for. But Colin, thank you so much for no joining worries. us. No worries. Thanks Ollie, for the questions. Thanks, Chris. Ollie, a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs>